There is a phenomenon in the film industry known as twin films. Twin films are when two films that are similar in some respect get released about the same time. Sometimes the two movies have the same plot but are released by different studios. Other times the two films are the same but just released in different languages. And then there is the more rare phenomenon in which a single production company releases two films telling the same story just from different points of view. For example, in 1964, a French film company released two movies. Both had the same characters and the same cast of actors. It was a story about a marriage. One film, Anatomy of a Marriage, My Days with Francoise, tells the story of the marriage from the husband's point of view. The other film, Anatomy of a Marriage, My Days with Jean-Marc, portrays the same events from the wife's point of view. This particular type of twin film is similar, I think, to what we find in Scripture. One of the most beautiful things to me about Scripture is that the collection of sacred writings that have been passed down to us includes different points of view. For example, we have four different Gospels. While the cast of characters is the same and many of the same events are told in more than one gospel, each gospel has a distinct point of view. The particular view of the writer or of the community in which that gospel was told. The gospel of Mark portrays Jesus as an apocalyptic prophet who suffers and those who follow him inevitably experience suffering as well. The gospel of Luke paints Jesus as the savior of the whole world. At Jesus' birth, the angels proclaim peace on earth to all whom God favors. And a few days later, in the temple, Simeon praises God, saying that he can now die in peace, for these eyes of mine have seen the Savior, whom you have prepared for all the world to see, a light to enlighten the nations. The Gospel of John presents Jesus as the divine Messiah sent from heaven. It stresses his divinity over his humanity in a way that the earlier Gospels do not. And then there's Matthew, the Gospel that we will be reading from for most of this year. For Matthew, Jesus is above all a righteous Messiah who is the fulfillment of Jewish law. And as such, Matthew goes to great lengths to make parallels between Jesus and the great prophet Moses. Remember, it is Matthew who writes that the Holy Family flees to Egypt after the birth of Jesus in order to escape the threats of Herod. And then, of course, they come back up out of Egypt, reminiscent of Moses. In the Gospel of Matthew, there are five major blocks of teaching by Jesus. They're known as the five discourses, reminiscent of the five books of the Torah. We also see this emphasis on Jesus as the fulfillment of Jewish law in today's gospel reading. While in the Gospel of Luke, the Beatitudes are part of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, in the Gospel of Matthew, they are part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus goes up the mountain, just as Moses ascended Mount Sinai. Jesus sits down to teach, as rabbis did in the synagogues, disciples gathered all around. 
Instead of ten commandments and the rest of the law received by Moses on a mountain, we have the nine Beatitudes given by Jesus. And just as the Jewish law is about living in a way that reflects something about the nature of God, so are the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are not arrogant, those who know that they cannot meet all of their own needs but must rely on something outside themselves. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, who open themselves to the pain of the world, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, those who are not defensive or reactive, but calm, trusting in the goodness of God, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who align themselves with the oppressed and work on the side of what is right, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, those who forgive and treat others with compassion, those who welcome the stranger and care for the refugee, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who are not double-minded but instead love God without reservation, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who treat their opponents with care and respect, those who pray for their enemies, those who break down all kinds of walls, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, those who are deemed losers because they refuse to subscribe to the world's ideology of success, power, and achievement, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes are about living as God's people in the world. They are about living the vulnerability that took Jesus to the cross and beyond. And there is no getting around them if we want to follow Jesus. They are what keeps the church from being just one more social club among hundreds of social clubs. When Martin Luther King Jr. was in a jail in Birmingham, he wrote about the necessary vulnerability that comes when we hunger for thirst and righteous we hunger and thirst for righteousness king wrote these words there was a time when the church was very powerful in the time when the early christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed in those days the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion it was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning. The truth is that we are bombarded with a million messages about how to live our lives so that we will be blessed. Blessed with wealth, beauty, success in our businesses, above-average children, self-confidence, and fame. So how do the Beatitudes become for us more than just one option in a sea of what King called the ideas and principles of popular opinion? How do the Beatitudes become for us the power and wisdom of God? I recently heard of someone who decided that each morning when he woke up, before checking Facebook or reading emails or reading the newspaper or watching TV, 
Before absorbing messages from anywhere else, he would read the Beatitudes. They would also be the last thing he read at night. I wonder what change would occur in our lives if we did the same. If we carried the Beatitudes in our hearts and we wrote them on our doorposts and we told them to our children and we tattooed them on our foreheads backwards so that when we looked in the mirror we could read them. I wonder.